I love Filipino food. In fact, I'm getting hungry right now just thinking about it. Today, I have Chef Nico Cagalanan of Mansuetas Filipino Food, the pop-up he's currently running in Charleston, South Carolina. If you want to hear about how he brought this pop-up to life, and how he recently won Chopped cooking pork uterus? Stick around. My name is Chris Beer, and I'm the host of Chefs Without Restaurants, the program where I speak with culinary entrepreneurs and people working in the food and beverage industry outside of a traditional restaurant setting. Born and raised in the Philippines, Nico grew up in a family that loved food. His dad cooked, his aunt cooked, and his grandmother, Mensueta, cooked. Sure, he didn't always want to be in the kitchen. He was a kid, enjoying doing typical kid stuff. But food was an integral part of their family. Eventually, he moved to the United States, landing in Massachusetts. Cooking wasn't his career back then. Nursing was. But like many of us who feel the kitchen calling us, Nico decided he wanted to start a career in cooking. With no formal training, he essentially had to start at the bottom. You'll hear the story of how he got his start and eventually launched his own pop-up. If you're someone who's thought about starting one, Nico shares how he did it and some things to consider. We also talk about collaborations and his recent appearance on the show Chopped, where he had to cook pork uterus, among other bizarre items. So I'm keeping the intro short and sweet. Just a quick reminder that I love connecting with people on the internet, so find me at Chefs Without Restaurants on Instagram, or go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org for more info. And this is the part of the show where I talk about sponsors. This show is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors. If you go to chefswithoutrestaurants.com forward slash sponsors, you're going to find all the info on our current sponsors, previous sponsors, and affiliate partners. With the affiliate partners, all that means is those are products that I use and love. And if you click on the links in my profile, I'm going to get a small commission when you buy stuff. But I'm most thankful for our podcast audio ad sponsors. So before this week's episode starts, you're going to hear from the United States Personal Chef Association. Thanks so much and have a great week. Over the past 30 years, the world of the personal chef has grown in importance to fulfill those dining needs. While the pandemic certainly upended the restaurant experience, it allowed personal chefs to close that dining gap. Central to all of that is the United States Personal Chef Association. Representing nearly 1,000 chefs around the U.S. and Canada, USPCA provides a strategic backbone to those chefs that includes liability insurance, training, communications, certification, and more. It's a reassurance to consumers that the chef coming into their home is prepared to offer them an experience with their meal. USPCA provides training to become a personal chef through our preparatory membership. Looking to showcase your products or services to our chefs and their clients? Partnership opportunities are available. Call Angela today at 1-800-995-2138, extension 705, or email her at A-P-R-A-T-H-E-R at USPCA.com for membership and partner info. Hey, Chef. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to talk to you about some delicious food today. I haven't had your food yet, but it looks really good based on your Instagram profile. Oh, thank you. Uh, I can't wait for you to uh, visit Chowson. Uh, one of my favorite places. We were just talking about that. I didn't get down there this summer, but I'm hoping that next summer, so maybe like six months from now, I'll be down there. Cool. Please, please let me know. Yeah, I would love to like bring you to some places here too. Well, I usually start the show by getting your culinary backstory, your origin story, if you will, as it relates to food and cooking. So I want to hear a little bit about 
your background, your growing up, did you always love food? Did you love cooking? I know you were born and raised in the Philippines. So kind of let's start there. Yeah. So the funny thing is, I hated being in the kitchen when I was young. And uh, my my grandmother, my aunt, my dad, my dad is a real uh, great cook. They would always be in the kitchen and I would always be uh, trying to get out of the house and trying to get out of the kitchen. When you were a kid, you really want to be out and about and like playing games with your friends, not like doing chores in the kitchen. So that was like me when I was a kid. But I grew up watching my grandma, my, my dad, my aunt cook every day. And that's when I was trying to learn how to cook Filipino food. That's how it was easy for me to remember everything because like... I, I grew up watching them cook. Fortunately, um, I'm lucky. My, my dad loves to cook and he makes a really mean like soups, like any soups that I wanted. So every time I go home to the Philippines, that's the first thing I would ask him is like to make me any soups. Yeah. So, I mean, usually it's like a uh, woman is the one cooking in, in the Philippines, but I'm I'm lucky to have my dad be also like cooking and uh being involved in the kitchen. What's uh one of your favorite soups? Uh it's called sinigang, which is like a samar- uh, tamarind sour soup uh with like pork belly, some radish, uh eggplant and some water spinach. Uh yeah, it's like the first thing I ask him every single time I I go home is like make me sinigang. Like the fattier the pork belly, the better. Like the gre- like when you see the grease like floating on top, the better. That's the good stuff right there. I haven't had it in a while, but I know what you're talking about and I do love it. I haven't been home in uh, four years because uh, of COVID, but I might go home next year and just like be home. When did you move over to the United States? I moved here in 2011. Uh, from Philippines to Massachusetts. So you're missing the cold weather right now, right about now? Uh, definitely not. Hate the snow. Yeah, but Charleston has that humidity and all those gnats. Just the gnats alone. I don't know if I could live down there. Yeah, I mean, you're right, though. <laughs> you're right. How did you transition into what you're doing now, which is cooking professionally? Where was that? Um, how did that transition start? Probably almost eight years now. So I used to be uh, I used to be a nurse. I graduated nursing uh, nursing school in the Philippines, and then moved here uh, in the states, and then work in nursing home in Massachusetts. And then I really miss Filipino food the way I remember it in the in in my house. And uh, I just started trying to I just started cooking and like trying to learn how to cook Filipino food, uh, just watching YouTube uh, and just like reading cookbooks. It started from being like a home cook for me. And then I wanted to like expand my, uh, I want to learn more. So I was like, I asked one of uh, my friend if they know a restaurant that would hire uh, a chef, uh, a cook that has zero experience and uh, luckily, uh, he said yes. So I transitioned to from doing 
I actually did both job for like almost a year, like seven to three nursing home, three to eleven uh, restaurant. Oh, that's a rough grind. Yeah, it was, but uh, it was fun because and now I I was like trying to figure out which direction I want to go, and then I just decided to like quit nursing and like fully commit to cooking. So, what kind of restaurant was that? What were they serving? It was a British pub in franklin massachusetts uh it's called british beer company that that was my first restaurant experience i was there for like a a month and a half and uh, i was like i'm not really learning anything in here and then i started like googling and like researching where should i go next like what's the best restaurant in my town what's the best restaurant in my city or like the the next city so I, i i did that and then I, from that first restaurant, I went to uh, Zebra Bistro, where I work with a chef that works for Jamie Bissonnette and Ken Oranger. I love those guys. They're, they have some of my favorite restaurants. My, one of my best meals ever was at Toro. Jamie is just awesome. And the people who've cooked for them have gone on to do some wonderful things as well. Yeah, especially this guy that I work for. His name is Andrew Gross. And uh, he's super talented. A lot of like, with uh, the Toro, that restaurant, they do a lot of like charcuterie and curing stuff. So my chef kind of like did that in the restaurant. We were working together. Yeah, it, it was a fun experience for sure. That was like probably probably my first uh, real restaurant experience where everything is like made from scratch. And then I fell in love. So you were just getting really solid on-the-job training, learning how to cook just by throwing yourself into it. Uh, yeah, I, I was just like, if I want to learn stuff and like if I want to be the best, I, I want to like work for like the best people. I, I didn't want to settle, settle for like just an okay restaurant. So I keep like looking for like the next, like the next best thing. But at the same time, you were still kind of working on your own to uh, get your Filipino cooking kind of to the next level? This time, I haven't even like figured out that yet. You weren't even there. You're just trying to build your cooking skills. Yeah. It's like this time I'm just like trying to like build the basic fundamentals of like cooking, like how to use a knife, how to use the Vitamix and Roboku and all those stuff, like how to make like a salad vinaigrette and those those basic stuff and like how to season your uh salad and stuff my first test uh my chef asked me to like make him like a a medium burger and i was just like i i didn't know how to do it but i i acted like i 100% like know how to do it i was like yeah yeah, yeah i got you i got you and i don't i actually don't remember how i did <laughs> but uh, it's probably not good. <laughs> I think steak and hamburger cooking is actually one of the harder things to do to kind of nail know. those temperatures, right? It's not like any other thing. I say I can do a lot of stuff, but being a short order burger cook, not my forte. Yeah, me too. I I hated it, but it's, it's, it's fine. <laughs> so when did you move down to Charleston? How long have you been there? Uh, I moved to Charleston 2018. So, uh, like what I said earlier, I want to learn more. I want to learn from the best people. So I moved here to like venture out Charleston because like 
Charleston is probably like one of the best city in, in, in the country with their food scene. Uh, plus, Charleston is just like a really beautiful city. So where did you start cooking down there? My first job was at Zero George with uh, Chef Vincent Petrillo. It's a, it's a tasting menu restaurant and it's super uh, inventive. He's super talented. So uh, that day that I studied with him, I just, I just saw something different. Like I haven't done this cuisine before and he offered me the job and I was like, all right, I'll take it. Well, I'd love to kind of fast forward to the future and talk about what you're doing now. So I guess, what are you doing now for work? You know, having your, having your business, your pop-up, I kind of want to hear about that. So yeah, after, after I did uh, work with Vincent Petrillo, Azir George, I told him I'm ready to pursue my, my, my food, my Filipino food. And I started my pop-up uh, early 2019. He like really full on support me. Like he wants me to pursue my my food, and uh, I did. Yeah. So now I'm trying trying to represent Filipino food in Charleston, and I I think it's it's been great since I started. Like everyone has been super welcoming about my food. How did you how did you launch that? What was your first uh, event you did? just a small pop-up at the brewery. I literally brought everything. Like, I brought my my little uh, fryer. I brought my little yakitori grill. Uh, I literally, like, brought everything. So I was in a brewery. It's called Palmetto Brewery. That was my first ever pop-up. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a great, uh, great one. But, like... It's always like hard to figure out the first uh, couple pop-ups because like n- n- no one really like knows about it yet, and uh, it was hard in the beginning, but it's all it's all worth it. And then one of uh, City Paper, Charleston City Paper, like pick up uh, on it and made an article about me, and after that it's been crazy good and crazy busy. That kind of blew it out of the water, huh? Yeah, this community in Charleston is it's it's amazing. Even even the other people that's doing pop up, we all like try to support each other and like try to push uh, each other. There's also like a lot of chefs that are doing pop up already opened a restaurant their restaurant from starting pop ups, which is like such a inspiration for me. So what's your approach to Filipino cooking? Do you lean towards the side of kind of traditional or are you more on the modern contemporary side? In terms of flavors, yes, traditional, like very authentic. Because like I grew up in the Philippines. I know what it should taste like. I don't have any problem trying to make a Filipino dish and like trying to, not not even trying, but like trying to make it like authentic as possible. Because, like, I know for, for a fact that my, the flavor of my food is uh, traditional. But the way I'm plating it is, it's like a more like a modern, uh, like a fine dining uh, approach to it when, when I'm plating it. Just because uh, I'm not only like catering to Filipino people, I'm like catering to everyone. I want people to like 
to see that like Filipino food can be beautiful as well. And also like it tastes freaking good. Well, that's something I want to talk about is what's the kind of percentage of people who dine with you, Filipino, who are looking for those foods they love versus people who've maybe never had it before. Do you have an idea of kind of your customer makeup? Uh, It's probably like 90% non-Filipino. Yeah, everyone is uh, 10% Filipino and the rest is like, yeah, different. Are you surprised to see kind of how Filipino has grown in the mainstream, like I'd say over the past 10, 15 years? I'm not really surprised. I I just know for a fact, like our food is really great. And I know a lot of people is starting to realize that now. And like now I know a lot of uh, Filipino chef is like really pushing the boundaries of Filipino food in in America and just not even in America, also like in the different part of the world. I think it's just about time that we we step up our game and like just stay true and like uh, focus on representing our food. I think that now that's like what we're, what we have to do is like keep pushing it, keep just keep pushing our food. I agree. Uh, the reason I ask is because my best friend's Filipino, um, but he's Filipino-American, grew up in New Jersey, but his parents came over. Uh, he was my roommate in culinary school, actually. And we talked, you know, 20 years ago, and he said, Filipino food is never going to be in the mainstream. People who are from the Philippines or are Filipino-American are not going to go out to a Filipino restaurant because they're just going to make it at home. And the food is maybe a little, I don't know if you use the word weird, And it's just funny to see, you know, in the 20 years since I've known Ryan, now how it's such a big cuisine. I mean, in the D.C. area alone, we have so many places that are so highly regarded for Filipino cooking. Um, It's really great to see. But, you know, I talked to him and it's like, I I don't think he, even as a a Filipino, saw that coming. The way it's kind of popped into the mainstream, if you will. I agree with what he said, like Filipino people won't go out to pay to a Filipino restaurant because they can make it at home. I think that's like a very uh, Filipino thing to say. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure all of it, you know, like if you come from a very big Italian heritage and have grown up cooking it, like you're probably not going out for Italian food, right? Right. But yeah, it's it's funny that he said that uh, literally there's also a lot of Filipino uh, in Charleston. Like there's there's a small community in Charleston up in uh, Goose Creek. And uh, I rarely see Filipino people go to my pop-ups. Like the Filipino that's like born and raised in the Philippines. Yeah. Uh, I would I would see some uh, Filipino-American go to my pop-up and they all love it. Like a lot of like people, like Filipino-American friends of mine has been supporting me to like keep pushing my food. Like someone made my, my logo from, for my Mansuetas for my pop-up. Uh, someone did my t-shirt, also Filipino. They just want to like make sure that what I'm doing would like last in Charleston and just won't disappear. Well, that's really cool. The, um, the outro music I use on my podcast is actually from one of my guests who is Filipino and does Filipino pop-ups here in the Baltimore area. And he's actually a musician and What's a music producer. Um, he goes by the name Toyo Mansi. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We're friends on Instagram. D- Dylan Ubaldo. So Dylan was like the 
fourth person I had on this podcast or something. Like we went to his recording studio in Baltimore to record. And uh, when we were just getting the podcast going, he uh, gave us a bunch of music that he had created. It was just like, take whatever you want and use it for intros, outros, anything you want. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, his name, pop-up's name is Kalasag, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we, we talk like uh before small world yeah I, I think it's just like if you're doing filipino pop-ups or like filipino food uh people will like those filipino chef will like really like start to know you uh like one of uh one of the chefs i've, I've been looking up since i started my pop-up uh paulo donka from pogi boy in dc i was just there like uh two weeks ago really yeah oh, that's funny yeah, and he's got, you know, he's got a, well, he's getting a new place open. It was kind of a pop-up in the Pogi Boy space. And yeah. now it looks like he's not too far out from opening his uh, new restaurant. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for him. He's actually going to be my guest chef uh, here in Charleston for the Charleston Wine and Food. Amazing. Uh, in, in March. Him and uh, Silver from Nanks Jr. in Asheville. Very cool. I might have to come down for that event. That sounds like uh, it'll be a good time. Yeah, we're we're doing like a Kamayan dinner. Oh, nice! Uh, it's the first of like a Filipino chefs in Charleston has like a a private private dinner or like a private event in Charleston Wine and Food. And uh, yeah, I couldn't be more excited. So, what is your plan? Are you looking to turn this into a full time thing, brick and mortar, all that? I mean, at the end of the day, like I would want to have like a space where I don't have to travel to different places, to different restaurants to do my pop-up. Like I would love to have a brick and mortar for sure. It's actually like right now it's in the works right now, but it's still in the early stage, but it's, it's working right now. It, well, it's so, I mean, it's so much work. It's so expensive. There's so many reasons why pop-ups seem to work. Uh, and, you know, I've actually never wanted to have a restaurant, but I love the idea of doing the pop-ups. Yeah. There's always, like, doubts for me. It's like, I love doing pop-ups. Like, I don't have to worry about, like, what if somebody didn't doesn't show up? Like, people called out, like, this breakdown, that breakdown. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, there's always doubts for me uh, in the beginning, but uh, the more I get deeper in my food, in my Filipino culture, the more I really wanted to like have a space to showcase more of what Filipino food is, like what Filipino culture is. I want this. The, I want the space so people can, if they go to my restaurant, they can see like this is how I'm opening my house to you, or like. The way my grandmother would always like welcome people when when they walk into her house in the Philippines. And what's the name of your pop up? I don't think we actually mentioned that. Oh, uh, it's Mansuetas Filipino food. Mansuetas is the name of my grandmother. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, everything I do is from from the memory of uh, her cooking all the all all different dishes. Like it's a respect for me to like uh, or homage to her cooking. Talking about the pop-up, you know, a lot of people listen to the show because they want kind of tactical advice. What are your tips for someone who's listening who maybe is thinking about doing a pop-up? Like how to get started, some of the challenges you've had. What can you give for words of wisdom? 
if you're thinking to do a pop-up, that means you you open you're gonna open a business. Just make sure you 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 do everything right. You get your LLC, you get those uh, business license, get some uh, liability insurance. Just for like that's like the basic, and then moving on to finding finding a location to like do your pop up. It's just like talking, like introduce yourself, tell those restaurant owner or breweries or uh, wine bars, like talk to them, introduce yourself, what you're trying to do, be confident uh, that you can like pull it off. I'm 100% sure it's going to be hard in the first, uh, in the beginning, but it, if you just keep pushing, it's, it's going to be worth it. So how many people work with you? When we do like a full restaurant takeover, I usually run with four front of the house and three back of the house plus a dishwasher. But also that's that always like varies like how how big is the menu and like how big is the restaurant. There's so many uh different aspects that could change everything like from your menu menu size to the restaurant size that's how i usually staff it depending on the size of the restaurant and depending on the size of my menu which is the same as kind of how i work it with a personal chef i mean every night i'm going into someone else's kitchen different setup they've got different amounts of counter space you have different customer counts you know and you have to plan accordingly and be able to um think on your toes right yeah and like when when I do my pop-up, I would visit that restaurant or brewery or wine bar and see how their how their kitchen is set up. That so that way I could like smartly plan my menu from what what they have in that kitchen. Like I, I don't write my, my menu un, un, unless I know the kitchen setup. Yeah, I think that's one of the most challenging because I get that a lot of people wanting to do um, an event, say a winery. And it's like, I have some stuff I can bring with me, but, um, you know, it's not the same as working in a real, like pre-existing kitchen that's there all the time. Doing pop-ups and like going to different kitchen helps me prepare myself with, uh, that chop that I did, uh, eight months ago. Yeah. Talk about that. So you were on chopped. How did you do? Uh, great. I won. Whoa. Yeah. I still cannot believe it. Uh, that, that it was a great experience, but like just, just being in that show, it's just like, that's a win already. Is that something you had wanted to do being on a cooking show? Like how did you end up on the show? I didn't really expect to be in the cooking show in the television. It's funny. They messaged me on Instagram and I thought it was fake, so I didn't look it up. I just opened it, and I was like, ha, 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 this is, this is a scam. So I, like, the following week, I was like, I look it up again. I opened the message, and I started, like, researching who's that person that messaged me. And I was like, shit, I think this is legit. So I, I kind of, like, emailed them right away. I was like, blah, 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 yeah, 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 I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do it. What, what, what do you guys need from me? I literally like was freaking out because like I was such a huge fan of uh, Chop. That was like one of the first cooking show that I started watching since I got here in the U.S. 
What was one of the dishes you had to make? Do you remember all the dishes you made on that show? Yeah, I made pork kidney adobo. Pork kidney adobo. Wow. Were you given pork kidneys? Was that one of the ingredients? Yeah. So the theme of the episode was bizarre food. Oh, cool. Yeah. So every, <laughs> all the weird stuff. So on on the first round, it was like the weirdest one was like pork uterus. I don't think I've ever cooked or eaten uterus. I have no idea what I would do with that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's literally what I, I was thinking. Like, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, and then the second round was, oh, uh, beef kidney, not pork kidney. Yeah, beef kidneys, cardoons, which I never used before. It, it looks like celery, but it's not. Uh, rooster testicle was weird, too. I didn't even realize. I mean, it makes sense, but I don't know that I've ever seen rooster testicles. They're big. They really went bizarre on this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. The On the dessert round, too, they, they throw in crickets on the dessert. I was like, damn. I'm going to have to find this episode because I know I've not seen it. It's a fun one. So are you currently cooking anywhere else or just doing your own thing? Um, just... Doing a full-time pop-up right now. I've done a lot of like traveling across the East Coast, doing collaboration with different chefs. I'm actually going to Asheville next week to collaborate uh, with Luis Martinez, which is like, he's like one of the best uh, chefs in Asheville. He does Oaxacan pop-up in Asheville. It's one of my favorite places. We were down there last summer, right before we went to Charleston. We did Asheville and Charleston on the same trip. And I only had two days there. Definitely not enough time to eat through the city, but really enjoyed it while I was there. It's, I, I love it there. It's like uh, not too far from Charleston. So the drive is great. And the, the view when you're almost in Asheville, it's just beautiful. I, I enjoy it every time. Maybe I shouldn't admit to not knowing my geography. I didn't even realize how close Tennessee was to there because when we um, when we usually drive to Charleston, it's straight just to Charleston. So we go down like 95. 95, yeah. But we um, decided we were going to Asheville first and I was sleeping and my wife was driving and then she woke me up in a panic and said, we just crossed into Tennessee. And I woke up kind of like uh, n- not even realizing what was going on. I was like, what do you mean we're in Tennessee? We're going to Asheville. Yeah. Uh, and then I looked at the map. I was like, Oh, ah, shit. How about that? Yeah. We're just going to we're going to be in Tennessee for about half an hour. So, um, you know, maybe maybe I need to study my U.S. geography a little better. Yeah, I'm, I might do that, too. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. What do you like for culinary resources? You know, I'd like to find out, are there cookbooks? Are there websites? Like, how are you staying, um, you know, inspired, I guess? When I do collaboration with people, just listening to their stories and why they're doing it and like what's keeping them uh inspired of what why they're pushing their food that helps me do the same and like helps me just keep pushing what i'm what i'm doing i think travel and eating is a great way to be inspired for sure and um you know collaboration how do you choose who you want to collaborate with are you just uh reaching out to people are they reaching out to you what does that look like uh vice versa the same uh I mean, if I'm interested to uh, someone or somebody's cuisine, I just message them and like tell them my stories and uh, that I'm 
really wanted to do a collaboration with them, it always ends up really well. It it always happens to like we we always do it. Like we always end up doing the collaboration. I I just just always be genuine when you're telling your stories. Mhm. That's great advice. Well, you know, 2023 is probably on a lot of people's minds. Are you a goal setter? And if so, what are you hoping to accomplish in 2023? Yeah, I can't believe it's almost 2023. I think for 2023, I, it's just going to be uh, the same for me. I'm, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to keep pushing myself, uh, just trying to represent my food here in Charleston and just also just here just across the country also um i'm hoping that the restaurant is going to be open by by then i'll welcome you when you go to charleston yeah i would love to cook for you one day i would love that well what does it mean to you to be a chef this is something i ask all of my guests these days huh that's so deep uh i mean for me being a chef is uh i think it's always like mentoring other other people uh if if you're not willing to teach uh other people that wanna know about what i'm doing uh that's that's not really like being a chef uh, i think it's all about like teaching and like informing other people what my intention is and like what my dishes uh, history and uh, what I'm doing. Uh, I love that, you know, I hear you saying teaching because I think that is so important. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think just, just being a, a, a really good mentor or like te teacher will like bring you places. And uh, one thing too is like, I think a chef should be a, a, a storyteller, like especially with, if you're representing a culture, you should be a storyteller. How do you tell stories with your food? Are you talking to your guests? What does that look like? Because I've talked to a number of my guests on the podcast about that is, you know, this dish means something to me, but if I don't verbally convey that or convey it in a written form, then the customer might not get that. How are you communicating that story besides just putting down a plate of food? Yeah. Uh, so every time I do a pop-up, I make sure that I go out in, in the dining room and uh, I make sure I talk to everyone. I just want to make sure that everyone's that everyone that's uh, coming to my pop-up knows uh, what my story is and like how did I, how did I come up with this dish and like what's Mansueta? like where did that come from? Like nobody really knows uh, the name Mansuetas until I told them it's my grandmother. Yeah, it's very important to like tell them your story personally instead of like your server like going there. For me, it's like a, a little personal touch. And you know, like adding the context helps a lot. And you don't usually get that necessarily in a restaurant, even if your server introduces a dish. You know, like right now I'm going through a period where I'm 
going through uh, a lot of my mom's old recipes and my grandmother's recipes and, you know, tinkering with them. I'm making them their way, but then I'm kind of putting my spins on it. But if I just serve it to you and just like drop a plate of food, it doesn't mean anything. You're like, oh, this is fine. You know, what is that about? But to say like, oh, this is the first dish I ever learned to cook from my mom and I've cooked it dozens of times, but now this is how I've kind of adjusted it to make it my own. Like that gives a much different impact than just plunking a plate of food down in front of yeah, someone. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I I do that every single time I do a pop-up. I just make sure I I told the story of the dish and like how 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 my grandmother is connected to all the dish that everyone's eating. I just love like telling that stories. I just want to keep telling that stories every time I, I do a pop-up. When you do your pop-ups... How often does your menu change? Like, are you serving the same things over and over at different pop-ups or are you switching it up all the time? Um, I'm switching it up all the time, but uh, in exception for lumpia. So always lumpia? Always lumpia. There's always lumpia in the menu. Uh, Yeah, I can't get rid of it. Are there any other fan favorites? Like, do you get a feeling for what people really love the most? Uh, Pork adobo. Uh, is always a hit. Pancit is always a hit. Uh, Sisig, uh, surprisingly, like everybody loves Sisig. It's crazy. So Sisig is uh Anthony Bourdain's favorite Filipino dish made of pig's head. You you braise the pig's head for a few hours, and then you get you take all the the good parts, the snout, the ears, the the cheeks, and you dice that up, and then you you cook it again. Uh, in a wok with a lot of aromatics and uh, you serve it in a sizzling platter. That's pretty much it. Do you remember the first time you cooked a pig's head? Uh, yeah. Because usually everyone remembers their first time. I sure do. Yeah. Uh, so my my grandma, Mansuada, uh, she used to, ra- we used to raise pigs. By we means she used to raise pigs. And uh, I, oh my God, this is a brutal story. I remember uh, one morning, my dad and his friends was like trying to kill a pig uh, outside the house using a, a baseball bat. Oh my God. Yeah, it, it was a terrible uh, sound. It's a nightmare. It's, it's, yeah, it's, oh my God, I, I have to delete that in my memory, actually. <laughs> Can I leave it in the podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, P, yeah, it gives me PTSD right now. But it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a, it's a fun memory, but it's like not like, it's a nightmare one, but it's, it just thinking of it now is, it's funny. That's much different than my first experience. Mine was I went to, you know, like a a butcher shop and asked for just a head and they gave me a head in a bag and (laughs) I didn't have to deal with any of that other stuff. Yeah, this one is like from, uh, yeah, head to tail for sure when he's still alive. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to get down to Charleston. Like I said, it'll probably be sometime next year, I hope. Yeah, next summer. Please let me know. Yeah, I'll keep you posted. Uh, I'll send you the link on CHOP so you can watch it. And then, uh, yeah, and then be grossed out. And where do you want people to follow you online? What's the best place uh, to get in contact with you? 
Uh, I have two uh, Instagram account, which is one of my business is Mansuetas Filipino Food, and then Nico Kagalanan on personal. Awesome. I always link all that in the show notes, so it'll be really easy for our listeners to find. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I've I've been such a, <laughs> I feel like I've been following you for two years now, and uh, I've been such a huge fan. Well, that's great to hear. I love that. You know, I, I really want to build a community around the podcast and not just have it be, um, you know, me talking to random people and never interacting with uh, listeners. And, you know, I want I want to build community. That's what's most important to me. Yeah, that's, you're, you're doing great. Uh, yeah, I can't believe I'm in your podcast now. You're uh, kind of famous now. <laughs> yes, thank God. <laughs> And to all of our listeners, thanks for listening. This has been Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.org to find our Facebook group, mailing list, and chef database. The community is free to join. You'll get gig opportunities, advice on building and growing your business, and you'll never miss an episode of our podcast. Have a great week.